Now back to The Drive with Aaron Davis and Chris Raff on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. All right, everybody, we are back again. This is The Drive on 93.7 The Ticket. It is Tuesday. We are one day away from Nebraska basketball. Eight o'clock. It's a big game, man. It is a big game. Big game. Actually, a huge game. A few some of the texts. We got a caller coming in. A uh, guest uh, calling here shortly. But yes, farming was the uh, they originally started yes. daylight saving time. Go Ralph. Go Ralph. Of agriculture. Follow, Go. Him, on. Follow him on Chris Ralph Seven. Chris yeah. Ralph Seven on Twitter. <laughs> the OJCJ. You guys are a mess this morning. Love it. <laughs> Happy Tuesday from Torrington, Wyoming. Safe travels to you, OJCJ. Appreciate you, brother. Safe we, travels to you, my man. We have to be a mess. This is the last show of the week. Yeah. Well, kind of. Oh, yeah? Me and AD are coming in for an hour a day. Oh, really? From 8 to 9? We're, nice. Well, it would probably be like 8 15 to 9. I said, I'm still, I said I'm still debating. Debating? I thought you were coming in. Yeah, Come on. Maybe. Oh, nice change his mind. Maybe. Oh, it looks. Raph and Rico show. Here we go. Yeah, maybe. Dun dun dun! Well, no, I'll be in. I'll be in. I'll be in. I hope it's not too early. For Possibly. You. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you get your alarm set. Get your alarm set, baby. Make sure. Make sure you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, so Rico, Rico's getting. Looks our guest like a here. guest is calling in. Yeah. Ad, who is our guest? Folks, we have uh, someone who is um, um, like a father figure to me, and not just to me, but a lot of people in the Lincoln community and has been a pillar for a very long time. Folks, we have Nebraska Basketball Hall of Famer, Mr. Albert Maxey Sr. How you doing, Mr. Maxey? Good morning to you, Aaron. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good morning to you. Good morning. There were some fine words you were saying since I've been around here a long time. Yeah. <laughs> in all the truth, all the truth, Yo, Mr. Oh, boy. Well, good morning. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us this morning, Mr. Max. We have uh, Chris Rapp that's on the air with us this morning, as well as uh, Nick St. Hart is with us this morning as well. We, uh-huh. Big game tomorrow for Nebraska. Before we get in that, Mr. Maxey, what brought you to the obvious question? Why did you choose Nebraska? Well, I had uh, probably a couple people that uh, encouraged me to come here and that they would take care of me if I got here. So. Uh, one was Tony Sharp, and one was Jerry Bush. Hmm. Jerry Bush in 1957 was the uh, basketball coach here in Nebraska. Tony Sharp was a little closer to me because my high school coach had gone to school with uh, Tony Sharp. And Tony Sharp was an assistant coach here as well as the baseball coach. Hmm. So I had some support. Okay. Tell us about, okay, you come here in 1957, but I want to go back yeah. to the basketball days at Chris Pissatux. That is Christmas Attics High School. That's probably the most famous and more <laughs> talked about high school in Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm. Christmas Attics was a person in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, massacre mm-hmm. war back in the early, early days. So they named the black school. Uh, they had to get a school for us in Indianapolis, and that's the name of Christmas Attics High School. That's where I played basketball, and that's what got me to Lincoln. To Lincoln, Nebraska. 
I'm looking yeah. at I'm looking at some of your old pictures and just some of the stories that that you've shared with me and countless others over the years. You guys won the state championship in 1956, and there was a certain player on the team that that had a decent career in the pros, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that person was my best man. Actually, when Joe and I got married, he was my best friend at my wedding in Indianapolis. But go back a little further, it, 1955 is when we first won the uh, Indiana State um, basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in those, in, I think we lost like two games then, and in 1956 is when we won it the second time, which we did not lose any games. And um, the history of that is those two championships in the state of Indiana was the first all-black high school to win a state championship basketball tournament. I was part of it. And you was part of that. Mm -hmm. And that gentleman we were talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is none other than the big O, Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson, yes. (laughs) The big O. He's got it. The big O. Oh, and we have to we stay in touch now, and there's probably about five or six of our uh, team team members uh, try to stay in touch with each other. Mm. So I just talked to Oscar the other day. That's awesome. I gotta I gotta ask you a question. Don't get mad at me, but <laughs> do you like what? the movie Hoosiers? Uh, it's not uh, was not portrayed, you know, the way that we knew it because of, uh, you know, movies and what they would do to them. But uh, it, it it probably uh, was pretty close to the real thing. Um, I didn't mind the movie, but if you watch the movie, all the uh, coaches that were sitting on the, uh, on the visitor team oh, that were black, most of those guys were on my basketball team. Mm. Uh, did I like it? Well, <laughs> Milan was um, the team that won, came into uh, Indianapolis from a small city. Um, and, uh, of course, you, the ones that have seen it, you know, they measure the court and they measure the basket from the floor and say that this everything's the same, just go out and win. But people don't realize that Milan had gone to the final floor the year before that. And these kids have been playing, as you know, Aaron, that if you start as a team and in your neighborhood and everything, you play together for four or five years before you get that place, you're a pretty good team. And they were a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. So you, you get to Nebraska, Mr. Maxey, and um, tell us how that was moving from – first of all, you, you experienced a lot. If you look at the type of uh, the, the temperature of our country – uh, this before the civil rights era even really started. We're talking the 1950s, early 1957 through 60 when you played here. What was it like? Because the, share the story when before you were even able to get a place to live. Tell us that story when you moved, when you came to well, Nebraska. Well, that's what I got here and uh, played. Uh, well, you could not play the first freshman year. The, uh, the second year. Uh, Joe and I got married, and uh, we did go up and down uh places close to the campus to find a place to live. And one story that I tell that uh, that was true was uh, 
happened to us or to me before I went back to get married and come back here, I needed to find an apartment. So on our street, uh, right in front of the campus, I started going up and down, checking out uh, places that had for, for rent signs, and nobody would uh, rent to me. And the, the best of the story is that there was one at 1029 R Street that's, that uh, building or apartment is not there anymore. Uh, but it was right across from the law college back in the day. And uh, the guy was cutting grass out in front. With, he had also a for rent sign and asked him, that I wasn't able to rent that. And he says, well, that might be a problem. He said, what I'll do is I put a note in the other four apartments there <laughs> and ask them would it be okay if a black person was living in that building. <laughs> I was kind of shocked, but I was, <laughs> I was really running out of space, so I needed to find a place. So I said, okay, I'll come back in the morning because I was going to leave and go back. And I came back, and he says, everything's okay. You can rent the place. Mm. So that's one of many. But uh, the most scary thing for me coming out of Indianapolis was, was that I was around all black people all my life. Mm-hmm. And then to uh, coming to Lincoln and uh, to be sitting and um, mixing with other people, uh it was pretty scary for me to start off with. The other person that helped me out here was also a person, was Herschel Turner, who was also from Indianapolis, and we lived in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He was here a year before me. That helped me a whole lot. My education background in high school was that I was going to be a plumber, so most of my stuff was in interior uh, uh, industry type of uh, work. And I thought that my dad was a electrician, so-called. Uh, I was going to be a plumber, which I took four years of plumbing. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that kind of upset me, it scared me, that when my uh, when I got here, my advisor said that he didn't know where to put me in in what college and so forth because I didn't have as much English and math and. I had no algebra, so I had to make up all of those courses. And graduated in teacher's college, which uh, I was blessed, and everything turned around. Mm-hmm. You look at- Started on the police department in about uh, 61 after I got out of school. Mm-hmm. Even before the, another journey. Even before the police department, how was it for you guys playing, uh, like, uh, just – the camaraderie you guys had amongst the team, because I know there were situations to where there were certain places, even the, because was, was it the big six when you were playing at that time? Uh, no, it was the big eight. Big eight. And we had to travel by bus in most places. Of course, we ate on the bus. Um, we had some odd problems in Missouri after the game, uh, could not find a place to eat. Uh, Herschel and I, um, so, you know, those times that happened, I remember getting on a plane to Colorado and the first white first uh, kid that saw us says, oh, mother, oh, mother, is that a nigger? Oh, and wow. I thought, whoa, that's the first time I've seen that. Wow. But Herschel was ahead of me going to the air, 
to the plane, and uh, that kid saw Herschel first. And of course, the the mother was staring at me when the kid was tell, asking her that question. It was really wow. embarrassing for her also. And going to Colorado. Headed to Colorado. And you look out, you fast forward to right now, they have they have uh, a number of black coaches they've had at Colorado <laughs> since that time. <laughs> well, but the story, Aaron, that I tell now, in, in my day, um, there were not very many uh, people of color going to major or to Division One schools. Mm-hmm. So um, we were the first. Because mm-hmm. I had scholarships from Idaho, Montana State, uh, Utah State, uh, Kansas, Kansas, um, Kansas State, uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, just about Indiana, all the Indiana schools. Um, but uh, for the first time, and, and then after you know, after we look back on some of this, at that time, most schools. All schools had no more than two, possibly three, black players on the team. Mm-hmm. Nebraska had two, or Tursa and I. Kansas had Bozer. Kansas State had Bozer and another guy. You know, Will Chamberlain was at Kansas, mm-hmm. and every school probably except Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at that time that I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the schools, but we did start. You know, the um, the times to change that that change that we start putting more people on on these teams, and you can see where we are in basketball today. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Maxey, were you on the team that defeated Kansas at the Coliseum with Will Chamberlain? I was a freshman. I was a freshman at that time. Wow! I was a freshman. Freshman wasn't able to play at that time. You had to lay out a whole year. And uh, actually, uh, uh, Jim Kowalki, who was a freshman also with me, we were we took score we took score of the game. We were they were filming the game, and we were across the on the court, just turning, putting up the scores, so that when you filmed it, you had the scores with that game. Plus, Welton and I went to. Uh, uh, it was Bot's family and some other family went down into our neighborhood down there. They, I hate to call it T-Town, but that's mm-hmm. what they called it at that time. Mm-hmm. But in the Malone Center area, and uh, so we had a nice little party after that. Will Chamberlain. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you see him crawl <laughs> down in that basement. You know, these older houses had basements. And uh, it was it was something. We had a good time. Wow. So you play at you go to obviously you come from Indianapolis. You play at Nebraska. What got you involved with law enforcement? When did you decide to get involved in law enforcement rather than going into being a plumber or something else? Because you're on LPD. Well, I, well, yes, that, that story. Now, I I uh, did not pass a, a psychology class, so I I I was uh, I was not in school my at the end of my junior year. Mm-hmm. So then I walked out of that place that I told you about, at Jensen R Street, and I happened to look to my west, and there was the police and fire department at that location. Something, I know God led me there because I would not be telling the story today. But I walked over there, and uh, of course they know my knew my name, and uh, 
I said, yeah, do you have any jobs over here? <laughs> that was the beginning. <laughs> that was the big beginning of it. So I, I got there, and I, for some reason, I was supposed to be there and didn't leave. Went to FBI, FBI National Academy in 73, came back here as a commanding officer and ran this department for a few years. And um, went back to school during that time and graduated in teacher's college and taught school for a little bit. Started a couple of programs at uh, Lincoln Public Schools and security in the schools and also the expelled student program. Mm -hmm. It now exists when kids get in trouble, you get their their classes and stuff and uh, try to keep them in school in a different location. There was so much that you have done, Mr. Maxey, you and your entire family uh, in Link, in the Link community, like I said, pillars of the community. There's something, when you became a police officer, was how many other uh, police officers, uh, black officers were there? I believe there was one. Were you the second one to join the force? Yeah. Um, Harry, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other. There was one other officer here at that time, and for some reason I can't think to of his name, but he uh, was on the department, and while I was here, I only saw him work traffic at 10th Street and uh, 9th Street. Mm-hmm. So I questioned that when I got on and said, "What you know, what's the duties and so forth? Well, at that time, uh, I walked the beat, and um, uh, and uh, in in every beat actually and i found out that there were six beats and he only worked two of them and that was from 10th street west of course you know the area mm-hmm. uh where the railroad tracks and so forth so that changed when i got on and because of his uh tenure he'd been on i don't know like six seven years at that time he was put in a patrol of uh, vehicle, and he started to patrol in that area. But I was—I uh, did go through all the ranks and walked the beat and patrolled and as a police cruiser, and went from that to detective, uh, a sergeant, and from sergeant to lieutenant, who are captains now, and then I retired. I love it. I love it. Of course, the main thing, Aaron, of course, that people wanted to know is that Martin Luther King yes. came here in 1964. Tell us about that. You being the, When did you find out you were going to be the detailed security for Martin Luther King? Well, the chief called me um, a couple of days before that and said that Martin Luther King was coming into Lincoln, and I would like mm-hmm. for you to, to be with him the time he's here. So, you know, it it didn't it wasn't that, you know, big of a thing at that time. So, uh that morning when he was here, uh I picked him up and brought him to um a Cornerstone Hotel and we stayed there for a couple hours and uh we went from there over to Pershing Auditorium and uh, he gave a speech and I took him back. Mm-hmm. All in about six or seven hours. Mm. What was that like for you, knowing four years later? Not obviously you didn't know that then, but at the time, knowing that 
you spent time with with an icon that'll be remembered in this country for all that he did. Four years later, he was gunned down. What was the emotions like for you, knowing that you had been his security, uh, have gone through it, being a police officer, also playing in, in environments that was not uh, open to uh, to black players? What was that like for you once you found out he passed, he was murdered? That was very hurtful. That really tore my heart out at that time. And uh, I think, as you recall, it, the uh, uh, the blacks did try to and did demonstrate uh, around Malone Center area mm. in '68, uh, but uh, that that really was hurtful. And then I started thinking back, you know, this person was was unique. He was driven. He you could see it in his face. Of course, as a security, I didn't get into his reason for being here you know he asked several questions about well how'd you why you here what happened and basically i told him i played basketball and then, and then i decided to join the police department and <laughs> here i am and uh and of course those are the most common questions asked the police officer you know well, how'd you get special black why are you doing this and why you get but it didn't um uh, it didn't do. It didn't change his that his, his demeanor, his attitude, his seriousness was the same that I had seen ever since. And of course, ever since then, my story gets bigger and bigger. Uh, I tell it often, and I appreciate that opportunity to be able to say that that I was actually with him. Absolutely, Mr. Max. <clears throat> look at right now. Um, I know that uh, Coach Hoiberg had you come and share with the players a few weeks back. As you look at this team this year, the way that they have uh, dealt with adversity, you know, we look at adversity compared to what they're doing with today, compared to what you went back then, it pales in comparison when we talk about mm-hmm. adversity. But we're talking about today, you know. What was the message you gave those players today, and how do you feel about the kind of the moxie of this year's basketball team? Well, the, I think what I wanted to stress to them right away that, we had their back, you know, mm. you know, we, they're, they're, they have the energy. Uh, all they have to do is to keep on keeping on, so to speak. Um, a team, like I said earlier with Milan and these other schools that play from their, from the third grade all the way to the 12th grade will get better every year because they stay together. Mm-hmm. There is a team. It's a team concept with everything we do. If it's not a team working together, it won't succeed. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned those kind of things. Uh, you know, just keep on keeping on. Just keep on doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to, uh, uh, Fred wanted me to tell a little bit about the story I just told you, but um Everything, you know, if you work together, you'll good things happen. So we, I think we had some problems with that in the past where too many individuals was, you know, were there. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, as a team, they're working hard and things will change. And, and I think things have changed. We still are in a better position now to keep winning games than we did before. I mentioned that, and um, 
and uh, I was proud of him. Just keep on doing it, and uh, things would turn around. Uh, and I also told them a little bit about uh, friendship after this. You know, sports in the, as a whole has changed the world. On mm. the reason they've done that, because when you when you're a team, you get to know each other. The longer you're together, you know each other. You keep that um, friendship forever. In some 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 cases, uh, you find out that uh, everybody's pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. There are bad apples in a in a in a basket, and if there's a bad apple in there, they got to remove that because it destroyed all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, those kind of things that I have learned in the past, and I just try to pass it on. I love it. Folks, we had the privilege of hearing from the Nebraska Hall of Famer, Mr. Albert Maxey. If you ever have a chance to look up his stories on the Journal Star, if you just Google, if you Google Albert Maxey, Nebraska basketball, there's this picture of him. In fact, we're going to try to get that on our clip today with the picture of him in Persian Auditorium uh, with the late Dr. Martin Luther King and just the history Mr. Maxey has been through. Mr. Maxey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, you have always been a beacon of light for our family, the Davis family. Our Davis and Maxey family are just yes. intertwined. In fact, we yes. we share the same names. You know, your son, Aaron. <laughs> do. You got you a do daughter, that. Michelle. My but sister's name is Michelle. I'm going to throw a commercial in there. I'm going to throw a commercial. Yes. I've got, I've got an art studio at Birth mm. Older Project at 7th and P Street. Yes. The, Come see me. His art studio. I have some on, other history here. Yes, the <laughs> art studio on Seventh and P. That is right down in the Haymarket. You can find Mr. Maxey down there on Seventh and P. And the name of the art studio again, Mr. Maxey, is the Ann Burkholder Project. Ann Burkholder Project on Seventh right across from Laszlo's. Folks, go check out his studio. He's got amazing art down there. He's also been a huge influence to my sons. Now, uh, not only did he influence my dad, my parents when they moved here in '63. But all of our kids are now my kids. So, Mr. Maxi, big bro, I love you. I appreciate you, Pops Maxi, and we definitely want to well, have you on again. I appreciate you. Bye. Likewise. Folks, we heard from the legend right there, Mr. Albert Maxi himself. We're going to uh, have a word from our sponsors and our partnerships. We'll be right back on the drive with AD and Raf. 